Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lockout. It's the word of the day. It's December 2nd. It's the day that you've been waiting for, the day that we told you was coming. I was thinking of all sorts of different words of the day we could use, but it's a lockout. It's the number one story in sports right now. It's the number one story in business. It's breaking news by every newspaper, every network. Everyone was prepared for it. You were prepared for it. The Nothing Personal audience, you knew that 1201 on December 2nd, the owners would lock out the players. You are hearing so many points of view right now. Everyone has an opinion about who's right, who's wrong. Everyone's taking their position. It's like you have to be in one camp or the other. Either you're in favor of the billionaire owners or you hate them, or you're in favor of the millionaire players or you hate them, or you're generally prefer unions or your anti-union, and you are taking that as your position here in baseball. I want to help you take a different position. I want to help you understand what's happening. And when you read all the propaganda that's being sent your way, you'll come to nothing personal and it won't be propaganda anymore. So leading up to yesterday was not a day of negotiations or a week or a month, or a year. Both the players and the owners have been prepared for December 2nd at 12.01 a.m. since the day after the agreement came into effect in 2016. Do you know that we start preparing for the next CBA the second the current CBA is signed? The way we do it is we put things into categories We have areas of concern, and area of concern are things in the collective bargaining agreement that we believe the players will not be happy with. We have areas of no concern. This is in the CBA. We're not going to have to renegotiate that. It's going to work, and we're going to leave it in the areas of no concern. During the course of the five years of a collective bargaining agreement, there are grievances that take place. Grievances take place over the interpretation of certain provisions in a collective bargaining agreement. Grievances take place for unforeseen reasons that happen during a collective bargaining agreement. COVID, the pandemic, not expected in 2016, impacted the 2020 season, led to a huge grievance over the number of games that were played in the pandemic-shortened season. That's an ongoing grievance. The owners keep track of certain issues and start preparing to bargain those issues well in advance. One of them is revenue sharing. One of them is arbitration. One of them is free agency. When 
you have an economic issue in the game, like the universal designated hitter. Why is that an economic issue? Because it's 15 higher paid jobs. Think about a union and think about management. Union wants as many high paying jobs as possible in any industry. I want more high paying jobs. Management wants the cheapest possible labor who can do the job of the more expensive laborer because they then want to replace the more expensive laborer with the less expensive laborer, thereby getting the same output for fewer dollars. That's the goal of management. So all of the reading that you do that all of these smart teams with analytics have found that it's better to have young players making $1 million, giving you the same wins above replacement or war, giving you the same likelihood of making it to October or making it through October. When you can pay someone $2 million to do the same job as someone who you pay $20 million to, who do you think a team is going to sign? So all of that's normal. There's nothing to be concerned about. Then you lead to the year before the negotiation is supposed to end, which is the year before the expiration of the CBA. The last 12 months is when you have a mapped out strategy. You've got an issues list on your side that you've collected by meeting with the owners, by players union meeting with the players. Each side has its own issues list and you start the posturing and the parading. The P squared goes on with 12 months to go. It's the posturing where you start letting the other side know, both through public leaks and private meetings, where you stand on certain issues and why you believe that certain things are fine the way they are, they don't need tweaking, or certain things do, like a pitch clock, where you need to do certain tweaks to the ball and to the rules. Where the players then say, well, we're going to let the owners know and let the public know that there's too many teams tanking. There's not enough market for the service of our union members. We need more employers who need the skilled, expensive labor. There's the positioning by agents telling teams, if you don't sign our expensive free agent, you won't win a ring. You will not be able to perform to the best of your capability. While the analytics department says to the owner, you can win, outwin, outlast, and outplay your competition without signing a free agent at the top of the market. So you got the posturing, you got the positioning, 12 months out. Then you start the meetings, the face-to-face meetings. The union and the owners meet throughout the five years from 2016 to 2021 but they're meeting more about acute issues, microeconomic issues, things that come up during the course of a season or a particular year. But about a year out, bless you, thank you. About a year out, you start negotiating issues contained in the next agreement. So baseball was doing this and everything was going fine, totally normal. The result of the 12 months of negotiating ended yesterday when in Dallas, Texas, 
you had a seven-minute meeting between players and owners, which was on the heels of a 30-minute meeting. You had leaks coming out from media members, both given by the union and by owners, saying, we're not going to get there. Everyone be ready. But here's a nugget. Both sides knew the lockout was coming before the first pitch of the 2021 season. There was no doubt because in the months that led up to the negotiating of the new CBA that went up until April, it was very clear that no deal would be made by December 1st. And when no deal is going to be made by December 1st, you still have to follow a procedure. It's the law that you have to negotiate in good faith. You have to be at the table. Even when you know it's not going to matter, you have to be at the table and try to find a path forward to an agreement. Then you have to say there's an impasse, and then you can lock out. Everything the owners have done has been by the book and all purposeful. I thought they would do a way better job of hiding their Machiavellian tendencies. But then at 12.01, when the lockout happened as we said it would, I think it was a wait to see yesterday, Coca. At 12.01 when the lockout happened, Rob Manford released a letter. You're going to read this letter because it's the only thing you can read on the website. They pulled out detour. Side note, did you go on MLB.com, Coca? MLB.com has pulled all player information, all pictures of players. They have a little note that says, we're going to focus on the rich history of our game because we right now, because there is no agreement, cannot have players on the website. And people are getting it wrong. The reason why there is a deal in the collective bargaining agreement. You've heard of this with college, right, Coca? name image likeness there are provisions where the league gets the right to the name image and likeness of the players when there is no agreement under which there is an operating business then the things that happen under the operating business like a website with pictures like working out in a team facility, like trades and free agent signings, all the things that happen underneath the umbrella of the collective bargaining agreement. When there is no agreement, none of those things can happen. That is the difference between last night, MLB announcing, we do not have an agreement. We are going to continue to work towards an agreement, but we have made an agreement with the players union to operate under these same parameters for the next 10 days and we're going to get it done if that got approved by ownership and by players then from december 1st to december 11th you wouldn't have known the difference there'd still be a website with pictures there'd still be signings happening there'd still be trades and injuries being rehabbed at team facilities etc etc but what would change between december 1st and december 11th Why would baseball and its owners agree to extend the deadline for this agreement knowing that the other side has no interest in coming to an agreement right now? Strategically, you would never do that. Do you ever keep fighting with someone in your office or your boss when you know that you can't win or you know that you're never going to change his or their mind? 
are you that full of hubris that you will die on a hill with your position even when you begin to think you may be wrong or that you will continue to fight for a position that you know is right but you know you have no chance of ever changing someone's mind what's the purpose of that or do you decide just to try to preach to the choir where you try to get confirmation bias, where you get everyone to surround you who agrees with what your position is anyway, and then you argue what your position is, and they say, oh, I see that, I agree with that, and you, and you get emboldened by saying, look, my position's right, but you haven't convinced one person who had another viewpoint to come to your side of the hill of the argument. No one on the owner's side has convinced the players not, of one position that the owners have that the players are willing to say you're right we agree no one on the player's side has convinced the owners on one position on one argument that hey you're right come to our side we'll come to your side there was not a meeting of the minds which is both a legal term and a term that sometimes you use during the course of your day hey that's a misunderstanding that's how you'd say it. you misunderstood me how many times in your relationship do you say that when you're having an argument and then you realize oh ooh, i may be wrong and what you say is oh no you misunderstood me i really meant to say x y and z and then your partner says well wait a minute x y and z is exactly what i said in the first place if i knew you agreed with x y and z we never would have had the argument and you say oi of course I meant X, Y, and Z. And then you look at each other strangely. Maybe have sex. The players and the owners right now are speaking to you, the fan. They're not speaking to each other. The negotiations that took place over the previous few days in Texas, they were not negotiations. Rob Manford's letter has proven that point and I want to read to you a few things from the letter that I assure you was written far before 1201 last night to our fans the letter starts critical he wants to be relatable he wants you to say wow he's talking directly to me the part about the letter that made me realize that this was not genuine is when he said, when we began negotiations over a new agreement, the Players Association already had a contract that they wouldn't trade for any other in sports. What he's trying to get you to believe is that the MLB union is the most powerful union in sports and the deal with the MLB players is the most player-friendly deal that exists. The players are trying to get you to believe the exact opposite. I would like you to consider just one thing. Is there a sport that you can think of where a player can suck and still get paid? I'm trying to think. What happens in football when a player really stinks? What do they do with that player? They get rid of them and all they have to do is give them the guaranteed portion of their contract. In baseball, every dollar is guaranteed. As a baseball team president, I would trade just about anything. I would give the union anything 
if we could have the right to get rid of players who aren't good, who are signed to long-term guaranteed deals. Rob Manford then continued, baseball players have no salary cap and are not subjected to a maximum length or dollar amount on contracts. Not true. There is a salary cap. It is just not in the agreement. It's called something different in the agreement. It's called the luxury tax threshold. To remember that thing where you read about your teams that won't go above a certain number because they don't want to pay a tax? That's what a salary cap is. Now, basketball has a salary cap. And do you know what people do every day in basketball? They do everything they can to act like there is no salary cap. They find ways to spend money on players they want to spend money on. Owners are the same. In fact, only MLB has guaranteed contracts that run 10 or more years and in excess of $300 million. Boom. Hidden in the second paragraph of the letter or third paragraph or fourth paragraph. An explanation of what took place these last three days that people in the media were trying to figure out and we told you what was happening. We told you that all these deals were overpays. We told you that the commissioner of baseball was not just okay with these contracts, he wanted these contracts. There were times in the past when Bud Selig would say to us, don't sign a player for that, don't waste your money, what are you doing? You're going 10 years on a player, you are not going to get performance, and you're going to be stuck with that deal. You guys are a bunch of effing idiots. That's what we'd be told. Rob Manford used to be the head of labor during those times, and he would tell Bud, please be quiet. We just lost a collusion ruling. Can we not have collusion, please? And Bud Selig would say, ah, don't worry about it. I'm just telling these owners, don't be idiots. Now, sign whoever you want to sign, he would say, but be smart. And of course, owners are all super competitive and they get convinced by agents to sign things they don't want to sign. But this year was different. Rob Manford, as commissioner, wanted these huge deals to sign so he could say to you, the fans, and to the players, what are you talking about? Look what Corey Seager got. Look at the average annual value of Max Scherzer. Look at Javier Baez for crying out loud or Marcus Stroman. Look at all these great big deals that have just been signed in the past three days. Hmm. Interesting. The union has been very clear that under the last collective bargaining agreement, it was not the top players who were being deleteriously impacted. They've made it clear it's the middle class and the lower class that they are, quote unquote, trying to help. But the commissioner is saying, hey, take a look at the upper class. Isn't that what you should care about? Out of 1,200 members of the players' union, how many players care that there are 10-year, $300 million contracts out there? How many players? 10%? Do you think 120 players out there think they're going to get $300 million over 10 years? 5%. 60 players. That would be an outside number. Do you know what 5% of a union gets you? Not a vote of yes to a new deal. So it's not relevant at all that 10 or more years can be done or 300 million. But then he continued. We have heard repeatedly that free agency is broken, 
but in the month of November, $1.7 billion was committed to free agents, smashing the prior record by nearly four times. Of course, the record for November signings was smashed because all of the big deals have historically been signed December, January, February. So you're comparing apples to oranges. And the only reason these huge deals were signed is because of this fake deadline of December 1st, where all transactions are then frozen. But it was all done purposely. Tell the owners the lockout is coming December 1st. Tell the owners who are going to be signing these big name free agents, do it now. Get it done because then we get to tell our fans, hey, look, the players are being unreasonable. Hey, look, everything's good here. Hey, look, why are we missing games or having a lockout? It's because of them. We worked hard, the letter continues, to find compromise while making the system even better for players by addressing concerns raised by the Players Association. And then he goes into a list of all the things that MLB has offered during the negotiation. We talked to you about it, the 14-game expanded playoffs, Universal DH. We talked about the fact that they offered a minimum payroll of $100 million that then came with a salary cap. We talked about that MLB said, we'll let everybody be a free agent at 29 and a half. They talked about, we'll get rid of arbitration. You don't like arbitration, we'll get rid of it and we'll pay players out of a pool of money according to war. Every single proposal that was made by the owners was made to get rejected. Every single proposal made by the players to the owners was proposed to get rejected. It's like you play a game and you have to set up your bunker. Like Stratego. Does anyone play Stratego anymore? Where you have to, it's like capture the flag and you put your flag down and you have to, you can't surround it fully by bombs. You've got to leave a path, an accessible path for the flag to be caught. You also have to have a piece on the board that can capture the bomb and defuse the bomb but you've got to keep a pathway open. But the majority of the flag is surrounded by bombs and then you set up pieces around the board to both play defense and offense. That's what collective bargaining is. It is pieces on a chessboard that are being used offensively and defensively. All of the proposals made by the owners were offensive. They were both offensive to the players and meant as an offense. All of the proposals made by the players were equally offensive and used solely for offense. So in his letter to you, the fans, Rob Manford wanted you to believe that everything that was done was done out of love of the game, respect of the game, a desire to continue labor peace, a desire to get a deal done. Not one of them was. He then continued, just in case you were going to be confused and have one scintilla of sympathy for players. When negotiations lacked momentum, we tried to create some by offering to accept the universal designated hitter, to create a new draft system using a lottery similar to other leagues, to increase the competitive balance tax threshold that affects only a small number of teams. Those weren't real proposals. When you accept the universal designated hitter, 
That's like having an argument with your friend. And one of the things you're arguing over is which pizza place you're going to go to. And you like both pizza places, and so does the other guy. And so when you agree to go to the pizza place suggested by the other guy, you say, look, look at how giving I am. MLB accept the universal designated hitter because all of the owners want the universal designated hitter because they don't want their pitchers hitting anymore. Period. But they made it an economic issue because designated hitters make more money than minimum players. Therefore, by accepting the designated hitter, what they also paired that with was certain economic concessions by the players in order to make it a free trade. No blood. We're taking on an extra 15 players in the National League to be designated hitters. We're going to make $10 million a year. We are getting $150 million and something else. All of that's normal. Then the letter continues. This hard but important step does not necessarily mean games will be canceled. They, work, they workshop that. They would have preferred to say, this important step does not mean games will be canceled. But you can't tell the other side that you're not willing to cancel games because then the other side will have no reason to ever give in on anything because they know at the end, right before games are going to be canceled, that you will give in. So you have to put in the word necessarily. This hard but important step does not necessarily mean games will be canceled. In fact, we are taking this step, meaning the lockout, now because it accelerates the urgency for an agreement. That's not true. Both sides will want you to believe that this lockout was done for the purpose of getting to an agreement faster. Rob Manford's continued to tell you that that we're going to lock out the players because we think it's the best way, he'll say. And he'll meet the media and he'll say the same thing throughout the course of this. We were put in a position where we thought it was in the best interest of getting an agreement done as quickly as possible to lock out the players. We locked out the players because we thought it was the best chance we had to have a deal in time to not miss games. But they're not telling you the truth. The reason they're not telling you the truth is that the owners are willing to miss games. Breaking news alert. The deadline for this lockout to end is not a deadline that would enable a 162-game season. It's a deadline that would enable a season that is full enough that it can lead to a postseason in October on time. And we learned during the pandemic that you can have a 60-game season and still have October baseball. And this 60-game season would be better for owners because there would be full stands during the course of those 60 games, unlike the 60-game pandemic season played in front of empty stands. Baseball has been preparing for this lockout and dealt with their contracts with their broadcasters, local and national, with the full knowledge that this lockout was coming. The minute that the players and owners signed the last deal in 16, we knew a lockout was coming in 21 because we knew we had gotten the best of Tony Clark. What we didn't count on was that the players would get smart and hire Bruce Meyer. Bruce Meyer is not hired to make a deal. He's hired to not make a deal. He's hired to fight. The letter ended 
by saying today's a difficult day for baseball. But as I have said all year, there is a path to a fair agreement and we will find it. MLB is ready to work around the clock to meet that goal. I urge the Players Association to join us at the table. Come on, Rob. You didn't need to end it with that line. That was the last line. I urge the Players Association to join us at the table. This is a letter to the fans. When you do a letter to the Players Association or to your players, you can end it with, I urge you to join us at the table. Let's go. Or even in the media, you can say, I urge you. When you send a letter that you pretend is to your fans, but you do it in a way that people know that you were really sending it as a message, you were sending it as a position paper, you've offended your fans. So what does the union do then? The union sees the letter to the fans. The union sees the empty website. They have their own statement ready to go. And their statement was a little bit shorter. It was not to fans. It was just a statement. This shutdown is a dramatic measure regardless of the timing. No, it's not. They want to appeal to you as a fan to hate the owners and to say you didn't have to do this lockout. There was no reason for it. It's not a dramatic measure. It's not required by law for any other reason. That is also not true. Lockouts and strikes are never required but they are used strategically by both management and union to get to an agreement. But they don't want to bother you with that. The players don't. Then they want to say, and they did, it was the owner's choice, plain and simple, specifically calculated to pressure players into relinquishing rights and benefits. No shit, Sherlock. Everything you do as a player is to gain more benefit for yourself. Everything owners do is to gain more benefit for them. Why are you putting that in a statement? That everything the owners do is calculated to pressure players into relinquishing rights and benefits. You're damn right. I never did one thing as management saying to myself, you know what I want to do today? I'm going to choose to do something from 10 to 11 a.m. And the sole purpose of what I'm doing is to give up something that I have earned through negotiation. I'm going to give you a little extra because I like you. I never went up to a player one time and said, you know, your contract calls for a $100,000 bonus for what you just did, but I like you so much. I'm going to give you $125,000. I'll give you $250,000. Never. Do you know the agreement calls for you to make four community appearances per year but I really forget it. You can just make two. We're good. Of course you don't do that. Nobody does that. These tactics are not new, the union said. We have been here before and players have risen to the occasion time and again, guided by a solidarity that has been forged over generations. We will do so again here. Hip, hip, hooray. 
The union is as tone deaf as the owners. It's already happening. My worst nightmare where they are trying to position themselves as the heroes, the victims. Look what crimes are being perpetrated against us. We're the players union. We've been around. We've had to strike. We've been locked out before. We've missed a World Series. We've had a split season. We've had work stoppages just like our brothers in hockey and in football and in basketball. We know exactly what to do. We've got a lot of money saved up. You're going to hear a lot of that in the coming days, weeks, and months. The players saved a lot of money. What kind of money did they save? Players get paid both in salary. They also from the union get something called licensing. Licensing is exactly what players get paid for so the players' faces can be on the website. But instead of releasing that licensing money to each of their union members, they kept it, they held it back. The same way in baseball, the commissioner's office withholds certain national revenue that would normally be distributed to the teams. They withhold it in order to have a lot of extra money built up so that teams can withstand missing games and players can withstand missing paychecks. Right now, no team needs a war chest because there is, there is no revenue being missed. Right now, players do not need money from the union because they would not normally be making money now. They're not losing any money now. That is why when hearing about the lockout today, it is so important for you to realize that nothing out of the ordinary is happening. It's not the end of the world as we know it. It is simply a step as we head toward next season under a new agreement. That's all it is. So there's going to be much more about this lockout and you're going to come right back here to nothing personal. We're going to end the show with that because I want you to marinate over this. I want you to think about what both sides are doing and always be aware that there's much more to the story than what the two sides want you to think because they have one commonality of interest and that is it's just business. Hey fans, this lockout is nothing personal.